You're listening to Ace Comicals, and today we are joined by our first ever creator guest, writer Ben Khan. Let's go! Welcome to a special edition of Ace Comicals. So this is a show between shows and it's just me, Greg, today, uh, joined by our very first, well, our first ever creator guest, Ben Khan. Hi there, Ben Khan. I'm the Yank on the other line. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Ben's over in New York and right now it's kind of early morning. Is it early still? It's like 9am, right? Uh, it's around 9am, but you know, I I usually, I have to get up at 6am to make it to work on time. So this is, I'm doing, this is nice and almost mid-morning. Uh, so welcome to our show. It's great to have you here. Um, Thank ben you. I didn't know to... beforehand I was the first interview. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, you are, yes. you are going to be our first creator guest, uh, first interview. So yeah, <laughs> you, have to, oh, you yeah. have to tell us how we do. I'm charting um, new ground. I'm a re- I'm a trailblazer. I love indeed. it. <laughs> uh, ben is here to discuss their awesome comic Griffin. Um, there are actually three chapters of this available now on sale on Comicsology, and chapter four will be available on the twenty sixth of the sixth, twenty nineteen. Now, um, these are published by SBI Press. That's yes, Starburns uh, SBI. Yeah, Starburns. I never know. I never know whether to say SBI or Starburns Press, so I try to just fit them both into a sentence somehow. <laughs> Um, before we dive right into that, though, you have uh, other comics that are currently available as well, uh, Shaman and Heavenly Blues. Yes, uh, Shaman is available on Amazon and also on Comixology. Uh, that was me and artist Bruno Hidalgo's uh, first collaboration. Uh, Griffin is now our third. Uh, Shaman is about a single father necromancer and his teenage sorceress daughter, really just going on all these crazy, wild uh, urban fantasy adventures. Uh, that one was a lot of fun to do as a first comic. It's, uh, you know, t- tries to deal with a whole bunch of different kind of facets of magic and uh, in fiction and in life. So a lot of little superhero satire, some classic movie monsters, and even get to work in a little bit of sports superstition for a fun little urban fantasy book about a dad and his daughter. And then uh, Heavenly Blues is uh, published by Scout Comics. Uh, you can get that at Scout Comics uh, website. And that was also with Bruno Hidalgo, and that was about a group of dead thieves in hell who team up to pull the ultimate heist on heaven. Both of those sound absolutely awesome, um, and we will, I mean, I will have to check those out, because <laughs> I, 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 I must confess to you. I'll send copies, because they are fun. Yeah, I need to check those out. They sound fun. I must confess to you that I haven't managed to check those out before this interview today. They're great um, comics, and you know yeah. you can believe that because I'm just so not biased in any way. <laughs> totally yeah. trustworthy. Yeah, we we believe you. <laughs> as I shamelessly hawk my own wares. <laughs> so um, tell us a little about your taste in comics in general and your taste in stories and what kind of things you look for and enjoy the most and how does that kind of like inform your writing so when it comes to comics i am definitely one of those uh people who loves big two and indie like i am all about like i am i will admit to i am just a superhero fiend like you put a good like avengers or batman comic in front of my face i am i'm a very happy camper but man, like Vertigo was like, you know, R.I.P. Vertigo uh, was such a, you know, and that whole style that has just become this whole world of indie comics, which, 
you really you look at the state of indie comics today. That is not what Western comics have been like for the vast majority of this medium's history. Yeah, this is a this is a when you really step back and you look at just how many venues and publishers for like really create our own wild stories out there. This is a really this is a really freaking unprecedented time in Western comics history. That's really cool. Um, and you know, I feel it, and that whole spirit. I mean, you know, sometimes there's more genres like just like that. Oh. If I want to read some crime comics, man, there's, you know, Ed Brubaker's comics. Uh, Chris Sabella's Shanghai Red uh, came out earlier this, like, mm. late last year was fantastic. Old yeah. school, you know, 100 Bullets. Like, uh, you want your, like, fantasy comics. You got the complete works of game and you got monstrous, like, fun sci fi adventures. Here's Kim and Kim. Like, and the, every genre, yeah. if you know where to look, so many genres are just people are just knocking it out of the park yeah exactly there's something for everyone out there at the moment and it is a really good time for for comics and creativity because there's just so many different outlets and people can express themselves in so many different ways and things like that and they get to do that now and that's great and we can kind of thank vertigo for that can't we yeah it's yeah i mean you know we, you know, Vertigo is dead, long live Vertigo. Exactly. <laughs> and that is, that. this is their legacy, I guess. This, this. I, I really yeah. believe every single, like, career own book that comes out of, you know, Oni, Vault, Dark Horse, Image, Scout, Black Mask, Aftershock, all of them, like, Vertigo. Yeah. All of them, all of them owe it to Vertigo, I guess, in some that, way, shape, or form. This is like I, I really believe that the spirit of Vertigo is in every single indie like direct market indie book right now. Yeah. Um, what are you currently reading or following, if anything? So what what kind of stuff I mean is on your pull list, I guess. <laughs> so if you follow my Twitter, no surprise, I am complete Justice League trash. So the Scott Snyder run has just been yeah. my effing jam. Um <laughs> uh, uh I'll tell you, I've been reading, and I've been reading part seven of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah. Amazing. I'm on such a JoJo's kick. Um, part seven, especially, where if you know comic arts, you know how hard drawing horses is, where, and part seven is Hirohiko Araki telling every other comic artist to get to his level <laughs> as he draws hundreds of horses across thousands of pages. <laughs> yeah, horses, horses are hard. Um I've tried drawing yeah, horses before. <laughs> I've failed miserably. And when you get to JoJo's level, you can yeah. just be, fuck it, cross-country horse race <laughs> for 24 <laughs> volumes. Yeah, that's mad. Um, currently for me, it's um, a lot of Batman. Um, mm-hmm. I picked up DC Leviathan. Um, I'm, I, I kind of like swing around events. So I'm, yeah. On the inside, I'm not ready for Wicked and Divine to end. Die uh, is here. It's fantastic. I'm not emotionally prepared for the end of Wicked and Divine. Mm. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be big when that goes. But Die <laughs> Die's great, and we've got we've got oh, the so Die RPG coming as well, right? Yes, I wish yeah. I liked RPGs enough to play. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a D and D guy, so um, like I. I've had a quick look at the rules, and we sort of discussed it a little bit in our previous episode. But yeah, it's it's. I good. so I want to be a D and D guy. 
I wish I was. Yeah. Like, I have nothing against it. I, I, I want to be into it. It frustrates me that I just can't get myself there. You just need to find a decent group of uh, a decent group of our peers that will be able to kind of like. That's the hardest part: finding a decent group to play with. I, sometimes I feel like I'm just so in my head. I'm just exhausted by the thought of, oh boy, <laughs> here's another character I gotta figure out. Yeah, I can, I can, but I can also see the appeal of it for people that write as well and everything because it's it's it kind of gives you that kind of space and freedom to kind of like explore stuff, which is cool. For sure. Like I said, I wish, I wish I was into it. So on to the main event. So you have described yes. Griffin as a genderqueer anti-fascist space opera about an insane captain taking down an evil human empire with the power of science. That sounds that right. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I myself, I don't think that does it justice. And I think you had to need to add some more pizzazz to that because in no way whatsoever does that prepare anyone for what is in the pages of this book. Well, I don't like, want y'all to be too prepared. <laughs> it hits you like a truck, a punk rock truck. It's great. I love it. Um, so I guess my first question around that is, where did this come from? And um, like, what is a little bit of the story behind the story? Like, what inspired you with this? So it sort of comes from some poems from some like very new influences in my life and kind of reaching back to some very, for me personally, old ways of doing things. Right. Um, so in terms of the new influences, um, really it's Star Trek. Like I kind of discovered Star Trek relatively, like I didn't, I kind of started Star Trek when I was in my mid twenties already. So TNG was a little, you know, kind of the concept of TNG, uh, wasn't quite this like childhood relic. It was a little more fresh in my mind at the same time where almost that kind of genre of spaceship crew adventures kind of is picking up speed again, you know, Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. new Star Trek, uh, the Orville, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Doctor Who. And then you've even got like, I think the one, and then the one that kind of, the straw that tipped the camel, that like broke the camel's back in terms of, man, I want to do a story like this, was when even Black Mirror did a Star Trek episode. Oh yeah, that was great. That, that like Black that, Mirror episode. That was the one that really made me go, man, like, Fuck, I want to do a space crew adventure story. <laughs> um, yeah. um, and then with everything going on in that wonderful for the world year that was 2017. Right. Uh, when like 2017, late 2017, late 2018, when the ideas just started first taking shape, um, you know, wanting it to be with just so much on my mind over, you know, some. I feel like Shaman and Heavenly Blues, um, their themes were a little more um, like personal based themes yeah. and kind of with like not so much geopolitics or global philosophy um, with that kind of stuff. Now, much more heavier on my mind. Uh, I really wanted almost like not only a vehicle to explore those ideas, but just a source of catharsis. Yeah. Just, yeah. A, just a character I could just unleash and that like just the level of emotions and for that i kind of went back to uh my old webcomic as a teenager which i'm not even gonna say the name of because i don't want people <laughs> trying to hunt it down <laughs> disavow if you're if you find it and you're offended by something i disavow it in advance <laughs> this is what happens when you give a 15 year old photoshop and raise him on Chappelle show in south park <laughs> 
But it was these characters that were, you know, like crazy killers, like just at complete sociopathic assholes. Um, and they were the protagonists. And they had – and by virtue of just being these dynamic, loud, yet utterly unrestrained, awful people, they had a very kind of explosive forward momentum they brought to the story – without outside forces having to act upon them, them really. Mm. So, you know, so kind of taking away some of the sociopathic qualities, not all like 40% less sociopathic, I'm yeah, going to say. I was I would say that um Griffin is still 60% sociopath. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's just a matter of Less yeah. nihilist, I would. Less actively nihilist, I would yeah. say. I think those Griffin, numbers, those numbers go up when Green Jello gets involved. For which, sure, yeah, for sure. Griffin, <laughs> I think the difference between kind of my old webcomic characters is a sense of believing in nothing but their own, um, like kind of instant gratification. Right. Versus Griffin, who is a sociopath but believes in so much. Yeah. Um, and so it was just a, like, let's take all these feelings all these themes, all these things that, all these terrible things in the world that even if I only have like two lines to touch on them, let's have a character that knows how to touch on them. And just kind of taking that kind of explosive momentum that these awful characters gave me and bringing that back in a character that they don't need, like they don't need the call to come find them and then hero's journey refusal of the call. They are the call. They are dragging the plot, kicking and screaming behind them. Mm. And that was, yeah, and that was just a dynamic that felt very right to return to, especially for this story. Yeah, um, and it, it works. It works fantastically. Um, and how, how did this idea form? So I guess we kind of covered that a little bit, but like where did, where did Griffin come from? So in terms of like how, where the characters came from, it was definitely Alexa, trying to... Oh, sorry, having a little damn Amazon robot. <laughs> Welcome to the Cyberpunk present. <laughs> Cyberpunk 20, you don't need to go to 77, 2077. Yeah. The, it's looking like our 2020 is going to be pretty dang cyberpunk dystopia it's, as is. It's right here already. <laughs> like, okay, um, yeah. we're not shoving shit in our bodies as much as we thought we were. But yeah. aside from that... Come on! If you're if you're listening right now, um, Ace Comicals has just bore witness to the singularity, courtesy of Ben's Alexa. Right. <laughs> uh, it was definitely a sort of. So I think one of the first things I kind of had to think about was how big is the crew? Like how big is it? Like especially being like I'm going to have six issues potentially maximum to right. do this. So in a sense of it's like. So it was all a sense of, do I want it to be, oh, there's a big crew and we only focus on a few? Uh, do I want to try to have it be a big crew and just know I'm not going to get to all of them? And I ultimately decided to um, kind of go, you know, versus between kind of Shaman's three main characters and um, Heavenly Blues's five main characters, I kind of erred more towards Shaman 3, Um Granted, a new character, a new crew member does get introduced in Chapter 3, uh, Young Engineer Seti Stella, but that was kind of born out of um, a, a kind of a particular trait that was lacking in the original three. Um, but I kind of came up with that 
what I needed was, at the very least, a captain, a first officer, and a science person, and a science officer, given how important uh, the science was. Uh, so I needed some kind of care. So for the science officer, I know I knew I wanted to at least touch on the ridiculousness of having one character that masters all branches of science, even while having one character that mastered all branches of science. Yeah. So that became where Elliot, where Elliot Dow and his cyber and you know his neural enhancements came from. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I can at least hang a lampshade on it. Though <laughs> um, I will say the I I do want i like the idea of science because this is really a i want this to be a science fiction about science yeah and science and there is a bad trend in culture of making science appear to be just like the breakthroughs of a singular genius and i do want it to be i do want people to come away feeling that science is a community and that will be a theme that gets continued to be explored later on in the series um but as it was, I could have just seven science characters running around. <laughs> I kind of just needed one. Yeah, you. Um, I think I think the balance is right with the crew that you've got there because you need. I think you need someone who's hot-headed and not afraid to get their hands dirty, as well as you would need someone who is a bit more of a thinker and would sit back because that gives it a good kind of dynamic with the um, the way that they will work together and the way that their ideas will kind of clash in places and things like that, uh- which will be kind of cool. I'll tell you what's been a fun surprise about writing Elliot Dow is that I went into it thinking that he had a more fully um, concrete philosophy than he did. I thought he would come at it from a bit more of a place of nihilism and principled indifference. And as I write it, I kind of realize, no, he's kind of just an asshole who refuses to take responsibility for anything. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then uh, you know, I had to have the first officer. So, and especially starting out, um, given how much of the first chapter is uh, the soon to be is first officer Telika and Captain Griffin, knowing just how insane and loud Griffin was going to be, you know, your basic character dynamic is a duo, which is your funny man, straight man. So right off the bat, I knew whoever this first officer character is, they need to be someone that. Uh, acts as a foil and as a straight man to Griffin. Yeah. Um, like that, like that was, there was no question about that. But what did happen as uh, I was writing it is that what that foil became, uh, became a little more sarcastic than I was expecting and a little less naive. And then that kind of stemmed from the plot that I'd really given the, you know, the backstory I'd really given her. This is someone um, who was separated from her family, essentially at birth, like raised in a camp. Um, joined with like a military that she hey became like an undercover officer like this is someone who has already seen terrible things and willingly done terrible things and certainly not to the insane zealotry destructive science cause that griffin champions but has dedicated themselves to a cause they're willing to give their life and do terrible things for so i realized the character just this kind of innocent, naive character makes no sense coming from Talika. And that's really when the character, um, you know, the young engineer character of Seti Stella yeah. um, really became necessary to introduce. And also a way to kind of, you know, give uh, Elliot, give Dow a bit of a science buddy, mm. um, but also someone that can, you know, really create a character that can speak to the moral quandaries that 
the other characters just don't care about. Um, you know, there's going to be a scene in chapter, um, you know, there's a scene I want to say in chapter five where they explicitly, where it's Seti Stella who explicitly brings up a way that something they're working on could be used to do great harm and they just do it anyway. (laughs) And I could, and I, you didn't need to know that there could be fucking everything up. I could have just not mentioned it. And have you think, yeah, our heroes are doing a good thing. Go heroes. But I wanted Yeah. I wanted to show that especially when you're working at the a big thing I want to do a criminal show, when you're working at these planetary stakes, what the hell is the right thing to do? Because anything could happen to go in any direction and it's on your hands now. So yeah. instead of just papering that over, I really wanted viewers like readers to realize the pitfalls of what they're doing, have them realize the pitfalls of what they're doing, and then have to think about how they feel about the about the characters just doing it anyway. Yeah. Now, I I wanted to talk a little about of the the opening of chapter 1 actually because I love Griffin's speech and how the whole thing plays out and I like how uh Bruno Hidalgo has managed to get the, their loose style um, on these pages and how the facial expressions that he's got Griffin pulling almost rabid while they continue on this like anti-fascist tirade. And I love Bruno's faces. Yeah, that, I mean in the whole issue, but in that sequence especially. Yeah, um, it's such such a great couple of pages, and um, I think is it the cover for chapter four? Um, can I can I talk about the cover for chapter four? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, the cover for chapter four with the facial expression there. Um, with the uh, the leader of the resistance uh sword in his face um i think that's great and that's pulled like straight from a panel later on in the comic but that's fantastic um, yeah and it's another no. great example of this but like specifically in the opening of, of chapter one the way like um it it just it just feels so animated and it's just it's so good and it sets the scene and it really gives us an idea of what to expect from these characters it's like a good way of introducing us to griffin and showing us their methods and yeah i will take stylized and emotional over over like quote-unquote realistic yeah any day of the week yeah and god does bruno just bring the style in spades and like one thing i really wanted to do with griffin over heavenly blues and shaman is try to think of new like sequences and ways of doing things that can really you know let give bruno space to really show off his art and muscle and god is he just stepping up to it and just doing mm-hmm. stuff that wows me um chapter five especially is going to be something that i think is just going to blow people away with his art yeah and uh, we're, we're all excited for that here as well um my co-host ray wanted me to mention that one of his favorite lines uh from the book actually is uh let's get this bird in the air the space air (laughs) he loves that he thought that was brilliant and he he wanted me to specifically mention that to you so ah thank you (laughs) i i have felt that because to me that's just like that to me i like that line because it's just like a little way of showing where griffin's head is at that they're always realizing just tiny contradictions and just yeah. going with it yeah so um if we're going to talk character designs like first of all griffin is great and like i love the representation here in this book and like 
we at Ace Comicals, we believe that comics should be a safe space for anyone and everyone, no matter who they are, and they should be able to find someone like themselves to aspire to in the pages of a story and that they can connect with. And everyone should have a lifeboat, I guess is a good way to put it. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me growing up, like comics, I, I had things that I could identify with, things that I could... Um, thing, um, things that, a place that I could escape to, and I think everyone should have that, and I like... Uh, that. I'm like I'm Jewish, and growing up, like I remember Rugrats was the only show that ever, to this day, ever had like an explicit Hanukkah and Passover specials, and I recorded those. And boy, I must have watched them over and over until the VHS ran out. Um, be so like representation; it matters. It's important. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, I came out uh, about a year ago as non-binary, and wanted and you know i know it's not gonna be perfect representation um they're an insano they're an insano science terrorist but um i still hope that um i still they serve as good representation and that they're and that someone out there is able to read griffin and find themselves in it yeah uh that's that's what well that that's what i hope as well that's what that's what we like here um, at Ace Conquers, this is what the kind of stuff that we like to champion. So, um, how tightly and loosely did you design the characters before passing it on to Bruno? Like, how collaborative was the process? Like, visually, like, did did Bruno have much input? Yeah. So Bruno yeah. gets a lot of input, as, especially in the outfits and the clothing and kind of the, like designing like mm. the you know kind of uh, the jacket and stuff. There was a few kind of elements I knew I wanted, like. Uh, you know, Griffin um, with paint with like kind of pink, punky hair and a glowing sword. Um, I did kind of have this image in my head of Telika as, you know, kind of red skinned space elf. Um, I don't know why. I just felt like there's a lot of like cold colors in space. Let's have a first officer with very strong, warm colors. Maybe that'll balance things out. And then with Dow, I just kind of had this mind of like, space doctor with like the half shaved head with the glowing components in there so i kind of give bruno general kind of like ideas for especially traits that'll be like you know character relevant like dow's uh neural implants and try to just give like general reference images or like actors or clothing styles that i'm thinking of like uh griffin i sound like a lot of like kind of hal from Hal's moving castle uh captain harlock um you know, just these images of like yeah. big, over-the-top space captains with their jacket capes. I was getting um, Lando vibes. Very, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, so and then because it's Bruno's style, and and he does such a good job just defining the world and all these great little background characters. So it's all we like. I have ideas for these characters, but until Bruno started drawing them that's when they come to life hmm. yeah no um i i actually yeah, yeah I, I, think for Seti, I think for say stella all i told him was adorable fish boy <laughs> and he nailed it he did he did Seti, <laughs> um chapters n- chapters uh seven and eight are gonna focus a lot more on Seti stella and really on his more innocent view on things and how that relates to how Griffin sees their action on so I think that'll be interesting because that's 
chapter seven and eight are really gonna be what I wanted, which is I wanted to see I wanted to see how Griffin confronts innocence and what happens to innocence in the face of Griffin. Yeah. Now, I mean, it all seems so seamless and fluid and like it, it seems like um you have like a good working relationship with your collaborators and everything else but i mean how i mean did, did you all have to be in the same room to do for this to work so well is uh, is there anything you did have trouble communicating across that had to come back in several iterations maybe or anything like that or so again this is really um the advantage of this is uh my third uh collaboration with bruno we've been working almost rather we've been working together almost non-stop since 2012 now right um so you know, a lot of the kind of growing pains and miscommunications uh, we kind of figured out amongst each other um, early, you know, early on. Um, so by now it's like, you know, I know how to kind of, you know, originally there's been uh, the language barrier because he's from Barcelona. Um, so that was more of an issue. So, but by now, you know, the language barrier is less an issue. I know how to tailor my scripts to make sure everything's coming across kind of clear and matter-of-factly, so it's easy to understand. Um, my scripts are usually full of reference images, so if there's something I'm worried that he there might not be context for, it's difficult to explain, like, you know, even a difficult pose, like, I'll just do the pose and have my partner take a photo, and I'll include that as, like, a reference image, just to, just to help give a sense of what, at least I'm imagining, so he can imagine it better. <laughs> Yeah, because he does. He imagines it better. He draws it better than is in my head every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's that's a that's a good thing to have, I think. Yeah. And you can, right. I mean, that's, when you, yeah, that is definitely a big a big piece of writer advice. Uh, reference images are not just for artists. Uh, writers, if there's ever anything you're worried that will be difficult for an artist to understand, just throw in an image. They'll be glad you did it too. Trust me. Yeah. Um, and I it. I mean, say the work, the, the working relationship, the strength of that shows in the way the comics are because it's very fluid and it's very, um, it's very nonstop and easy to read and it's just a, it's just a great thing to escape to. I think it's a great bit of escapism. I love it. Ah, um, thank you. Yeah. And suddenly at the point where by now, if you're working so long together, like when I'm imagining Griffin, you know, like uh, I'm imagining it. You know, even if I don't know how Bruno's going to draw it, I'm still imagining it in his art style. So yeah. I'm thinking, how is how is this going to work in Bruno's style? So at this point, I think, you know, even in, in the back of my head now, like I'm always trying to think, how can I make sure I'm writing to his artistic strengths and that I'm writing it specifically. I'm not just writing a story that any artist could draw. I'm writing a story that needs to be drawn by Bruno Hidalgo. Mm, exactly. Now I am a big fan of the fact that there are two of these per month. <laughs> I like the fact that it's gratification faster and I don't have to wait as long. <laughs> Right? It, that's the yeah. kind of fun thing you can do with digital release. Yeah. Um, I also like it from the sense that this is, uh, like I said, Star Trek was a very big um, like influence. And if I could get Comixology to play kind of the Deep Space Nine, like dramatic commercial break chord, like when you hit the last page, <laughs> I would. Technology is not there yet. Oh, I'd love but, that. You know, I might get that soundbite ready and just do that myself anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just like just the, so I love this sense that it's almost like this uh, commercial break, um, and it's fun. It really changes up the way that I write doing it in like kind of twelve page chapters because I'm much less prone to oh it's okay if like 
the first like if there's like some if like this whole middle stretch of page is like super boring like that's you know that's just the middle part there's like i'm gonna be exciting beginning exciting end well no because that middle part is now the ending of one chapter and the beginning of the next you yeah. can't that can't be boring it's not it's great no. it's like non-stop so, and it's like the 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 adrenaline and the fire is just there constantly because it, yeah it's it makes a real big difference now that there has to be a bit of a cliffhanger moment every 11 pages instead of every 22 pages and it's the kind of thing you can do with a digital first release and boy is and it's a great challenge it definitely makes me think like okay i've got to be really economical the pages like this story has to be like razor tight and that doesn't mean that there's not instances of people just fucking around like there should be i never want to write a story where there isn't enough time for people to just fuck around because that's my favorite stuff to write (laughs) but it has to be very precise fucking around yeah (laughs) um yeah I thought I'm trying to think of it, if there's a better way to put it than precise fucking around, but I think that kind of hits the nail on the head. <laughs> um, so how did you like, so working with Starburns Industries Press and everything else, like how, how do you find that? Like how, how are Starburns to work with and how, how do you get to that point? So that's, so in terms of that, so I, I've loved it. I really work with um, their editor there, uh, Brendan Wright. Brendan was my freelance editor on Heavenly Blues. So we already had that kind of great working relationship, me, him, and Bruno. And then when he joined Starburns, he asked me and Bruno to pitch him something new. And, um, you know, and we jumped at it. Like as soon as Heavenly Blues was over, it was like, I have this idea. It's sci-fi. And we ran with it at, at, uh, with Starburns. And he's been wonderful on it. I mean, he makes my writing better. He makes Bruno's art better. Um, and then having the book on comiXology has been great. Like yeah. I love like, and you know, it was his idea. It was Brendan's idea to do this like different, like half chapter format, which like we were just talking about has led to a lot of really fun, uh, new ways of writing and approaching the series. And that was all him. Mm. And, you know, and the schedule, like I like doing this kind of, it's a very interesting schedule because like you said, uh, readers get new content twice a month but we the right the creative team get six weeks between essentially six weeks between issues instead of four so it's a way of so it becomes this weird devil's math where the production schedule assignment is faster for the reader but slower for the creators which is really cool yeah because that gives you like more space to breathe and yeah we get longer to work on stuff while you get new content faster yeah, and that's that's a win-win situation because that means that everything that we get is far more polished and of an amazing standard. So yeah, so I think uh, chapter four is coming out. Um, chapter four is coming out this week. Uh, we just put chapter six to bed. Right. So like yeah, so it's been this has been. I feel like again, even just when you don't have the print when you don't have to tie yourself to the kind of um you know monthly periodicals again it's like really frees us up to do some fun stuff yeah um so we're gonna move on to some fun questions now so the first one um do you actually hate green jello or was it just a victim of random chance (laughs) it's not my favorite flavor i was (laughs) i would say yellow jello i'm more suspicious of yeah, but I thought green was just a more fun color to hate. 
Um, my attitude is, if it's not strawberry or raspberry, why are you wasting my time? Orange is okay. Orange is okay. Great. Who wants the C plus student? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's a couple that we came up with. That um, So are, you are living in a house share with three empty rooms. And you have to fill them with villains you wouldn't, you wouldn't mind sharing with. And uh, you have to tell us why you wouldn't mind sharing with these people. So these can be villains from anything, TV, comics, games. Definitely Damien Dark from the Arrowverse. Yep. <laughs> he's fun, he's chill, and you know he's got a good enough job that he's paying his share of the rent. Right. Alright, let's see. Definitely Damien Dark. Who else is on that list? Uh... Katra from Shira. Yep. She's going to be late, but you know she's always down to go out on weekends and knows like the like crazy speakeasies and all the like the good queer parties. Yep. And then, oh boy, who else? Um, I'm gonna go with. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Ursula for many yep. of the same reasons as Katra. Yeah. He's also, how great would it be to hang out with Ursula and Catra? That's a great that brunch would be, group. That would be that's awesome, a, yeah. That's a world-class <laughs> brunch squad. That is. Um, I'll tell you who my, my picks would have been. Um, I had Loki. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, like, he, I mean. L- Loki, Ursula, Catra. That's your, that's the brunch, that's the squad yeah, right there. Yeah, Loki, Ursula, Catra. You, yeah, that's just, you that's, just that's just like, welcome to, t- welcome to team queer gops who are extra AF. <laughs> see i would have had loki and i would have had um dr doom as well i think dr doom oh, would make God. because like I, I dr think... doom would never do the fucking dishes and you know it well yeah because he'd get rusty but like ah. i i just feel like everything because because of he's so sciencey and everything else if anything went wrong like he'd he'd be able to fix it and he'd be able to get you free wi-fi and stuff like that and you know he'd be able to hack other people's connections hack other people's like uh um, cable and stuff like that, so you wouldn't have to pay for any of it. It'd be great. That's what I should have. I should have picked the hacker from Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he can do all those things too. But he'll watch the Laker game with you. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, lastly, um, a world from any comic for you to visit as a tourist. A world from a comic that I want to visit as a tourist. Yeah, a place, a, a city or a, a place in, in a world from a comic. So, for example, Gotham or... I'm going to go with Opal City. Yeah? Because Opal City feels like New Orleans, but just with, like, really, really nice, like, crazy statues and Art Deco architecture. Yeah. And plus, it's like, there's no big, giant villains there. It's like, yeah, Starman's there, and every now and then someone comes after Starman and causes some shit, but, like... Aside from that one time with a shadow monster, like nothing that bad ever really happens in Opal City. It just seems like this great place to like have yourself like a po' boy and check out on like a crazy Art Deco rooftop cafe. Yeah, that sounds that sounds cool. Um, you see, my pick would have been Gotham, but like as a tourist in Gotham, like I could go to the Wayne building and get some free pens with the Wayne logo on and stuff like now, that. I <laughs> would love to do a comic that was just all about like it, barely any Batman. And it's just like about Gotham city's like tourism board. Oh, that'd be great. Like imagine, right? yeah. Like the, 
just just the the sleepless nights they must have and yeah, like a, like, like yeah. a damage control like like a tonally similar to damage patrol kind of thing of someone trying to convince people to vacation in Gotham yeah so so sitting around in a boardroom and uh, trying to come up with ways to make Gotham look fun yeah exactly <laughs> that would be that would be brilliant um i think if dc are listening they should they should take you up on that dc slide into my dms <laughs> <laughs> and uh very last question we have today um lastly what kind of advice would you give to anyone who's looking to get into writing comics uh my advice would be learn the uh patience and be a good be a friendly good person um as Patience, boy. Patience is, you know, the f- very, very first thing comics taught me, especially as a writer. You will be spending a lot of your time waiting, waiting for artists, like waiting for editors to give you notes, waiting for artists to do pages, waiting for letters, waiting for publishers to get back to you. Uh, this can be an industry, especially when you're starting out, where things can move very slow and when you've been waiting your whole life to really start, uh, it can be maddening. And it's it's just there's going to be times when the wait is driving you nuts and you feel like it's never going to happen. And you just I, – I wish there was a magic bullet other than just patience, but you just have to learn patience. Wise advice. And uh, yeah, so that has been Ben Khan. And thank you very much for joining us here on Ace Comicals. Thank you for having me. No problem. Anytime. You are welcome back anytime. <laughs> uh, I will take you up. I may I may have to take you up on that. Um, so you can find us at www.acecomicals.com. We, have, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Castro, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, you can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, ben, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at @benthecon or on my website at www.benconcomics.com. Um, uh, Griffin comes out every couple of weeks on Comicsology. Uh, chapters one through three available now. With chapter four out this Wednesday, June twenty sixth. Uh, that has been Ace Comicals. So thank you very much. Over and out.